Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen, where if films were food, we would be full of it, and we are full of it. It is Wednesday, no, sorry, Tuesday, March 8th, 2011, and once again, I am Paul Fox, and joining me, um, who's about to be gorged on a bunch of film food in the coming weeks, is Mr. Kevin Ma. Do, 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 do. Oh, hi. Hey, Paul. How's it going, Kevin? <laughs> oh, pretty, pretty good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Are you excited? What are you, we're like two weeks out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm still, I'm still excited about a new theme. You know, screen, screen. <laughs> yeah, uh, you did a really good job on that. I'm really pleased with it. Yes. Um, I'm thinking maybe later in the year, towards the end of the year, when we get ready for to go into season three, I'll get them to do like a rock and roll remix of it or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is the show where we talk about movies. We talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. So, without further ado, I think, uh, why don't we get into some news? All right. Got a couple news stories this week. Um, first up, uh, coming out of Film Biz Asia, Hawaii having uh, some high hopes for upcoming films. Um, this article by Patrick Freider over at Film Biz Asia says that... Um, the current year productions, uh, you're looking. we're looking at some films from directors like Fang Xiaogang, Tsui Hark, Tom Lin, uh, Stephen Fong, and Pang Ho Chung, among, among others. Included in that, we're getting a number of sequels uh, we've talked about before, sequels to Hot Summer Days. Detective D is already slated for a prequel. Um, Painted Skin, the Donnie Yen uh, Kung Fu epic. And uh, what else? Anything else of note? Um, yeah, well, this is the uh, kind of a slate announcement. The um, some of the other stuff included are the uh, Jackie Chan, I guess, is this here James Bond style action adventure that will bring back Jackie Chan and Stanley Tong, who uh, Stanley Tong directed, uh, I think, Super Cop and uh, Police Story 4. Um, you also got Ronnie Yu, uh, director of uh, The Bride of White Hair, directing uh, another take on the Yang family epic that's going to be produced by Raymond Wong. I think um, this is the same story that Cecilia Chern is acting in now um, by director Frankie Chan. Um, we talked about Tai Chi earlier, the Jet Li uh, produced Yeah, that. I didn't realize that was being directed by Stephen Fong. That was a really big surprise to me because I thought Jet Li would... I knew he was producing and he was starring it, but I had no idea he was going to get someone like Stephen Fung. I thought he would get someone more like, you know, Ronnie Yu, who did Fearless, or Stanley Tong. I mean, like, these other directors on the list. Um, really big step up for Stephen Fung as a director. I mean, he last directed Jump, and as some of us know, that was really a nightmare because he essentially had to reshoot a third of the film to cut out, um, to cut out Edison Chan. Um, also, Pang Ho Chan, which we'll talk about a little more later, uh, he's finally stepped up uh, his uh, his own mainland film, uh, the romantic drama that is uh, based on a Taiwanese play, Taiwanese book, um, Women Who Know How to Flirt Are the Luckiest. Uh, kind of a side story to this, um, Pang Chen approached a, a, direct, a stage director in Shanghai about um, working on this together. But what what he allegedly, uh, what he said happened was that the, this Shanghainese um, director took the idea himself and made a play out of it on his own. And now, after a big war of words, uh, the Shanghainese director is now suing Pan Ho Chen 
for mm. libel and for accusing him of uh, stealing Pang Pang's idea. Pang actually bought the right to this, so that's kind of I'm surprised that he's still going forward with this film despite the the current you know legal problems. Um, Tom Lin, many people might have not might not have heard of him. He's the director of the uh, Taiwanese chapter of uh, Winds of September, which um, in Hong Kong became High Noon. The Chinese uh, installment never came out because it was stuck in uh, censorship limbo. But Winds of September is um, uh, these three films are the same story, essentially different versions of the same story. Uh, and actually, Winds of September is a really good film. Um, even I would say. Uh, overall, better film than High Noon and something that a lot of people should check out. So that makes his uh, follow up uh, quite um, quite exciting for me. Um, the Feng Xiaogang movie, he's still keeping top secret, but uh, I think many people has um, many people have uh, 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 have speculated that it will be his big Chongqing bombing film, the World War Two. A World War II film, but he hasn't uh, he hasn't said anything about um, he hasn't said anything about what um, the actual film will be like. Yeah, but that, uh, we that's yeah. exactly what we need another World War II in China movie. Yeah, but you know Feng Shaogun knows how to make money, and he instead of making a football picture like the story says, a return to comedy, a tribute to Notting Hill, he knows that a World War II movie, you know, big budget, um, at least sell the surface idea that it will be a big budget movie about city being bombed and then go into uh, making people cry that's made money before and he's really really eager probably to be Zhang Wen I don't right know now. I mean he made me cry and if you are the one too but it was for all the wrong reasons you know, he made me cry of anger in both Aftershock and, and if you're the one too but um, I guess you know 13 1.3 13 billion people uh, eh. they, they're all looking forward to that one uh, so what can I say I'm in the minority all right, uh, next bit of news. Uh, Andy Lau and Dini Ip are going to reunite for Sister Peach. I'm really excited about this. I mean, because I can remember that they were a common pairing um, for a while in some of Andy's um, earlier films when he was much younger. So I'm, I'm happy that they're going to be working together. Um, this is going to be a new drama uh, directed by Anne Hoy. Um, what do you think, Kevin? Are you interested in this? Well, uh, Dini Yip and Andy Lau are pretty much the most well-known, I guess, so uh, mother and son pair in Hong Kong, modern Hong Kong cinema with the uh, Unwritten Law, the uh, I think The Truth and The Truth Final Episode. That's a whole trilogy of films. Last time they were together was in uh, Wong Jing's Prince Charming, which um, if it's by that standard, uh, hopefully Sister Peach will be much better. Um, I'm more excited the fact by the fact that this is directed by Anne Hui than the fact that you know Andy Lau and Dini Yip are um, are reuniting. Even though I'm, they they have very good screen chemistry. So with the right director, and I hope that Anne Hui is the right director this time. Um, this little human drama uh, that's shot in Hong Kong. Um, I hope it will do quite well. Um, interesting note, and it seems like this is kind of like a overarching theme for e-screen news. Um, this is the first, actually the first uh, film that Andy Lau has shot in Hong Kong in through three years. Three mm. years, I think. Uh, the last film he shot in Hong Kong was, um, I'm sorry, I, I'm glad this is not live either. Let me look. I had this in mind. Well, looking for a star was Macau. Looking for yeah, looking for stars Macau, so that didn't even count. Uh, last one, last few he did um, Detective D, um, even Warlords, Future X Cops, uh, Three Kingdoms. Those were all shot in Hong Kong. So la- I mean, those are all shot in mainland China. The last film he shot in Hong Kong was actually Brothers back mm. in two thousand seven. So that's over three and a half years that he hasn't shot a film in Hong Kong. Yeah, time to bring it on home, Andy. All right. Uh, next bit of news: Pang Ho Chung says. Love in a Puff 2 to be set in Beijing. Yes. Um, today, um, on the Hisina Weibo, uh, that's the, I guess, Chinese version of Twitter, um, someone reviewed that he said in a uh, Q&A for another um, film that he pretty much revealed that Love in a Puff 2, uh, which will star again Miriam Yun, uh, Sean Yu, and this time, supposedly, possibly Daniel Wu as a, as a, as a um, new romantic rival, uh, will be set in Beijing. Um, Chan has been um, trying quite hard for the mainland market uh, the last couple of years. He's seen, uh, he has many fans uh, in the mainland. He's, his books have done well in the mainland. Um, so he, 
decided to move his entire operation base into Beijing. Uh, he he then uh, produced a seven no I think four short films um, with Sina um, that with other directors uh, including uh, Derek Zhang and Jimmy Wang and three other um, mainland directors uh, that have done really well. Uh, he's also working on this um, the woman luckiest woman knows how to flirt um, thing that we we're just talking about. So now apparently he will also move Love in the Puff, the last film that he shot in Hong Kong because he shot this after Dream Home. Uh, is going to move the uh, series into Beijing. Um, Pao Chan was one of my favorite directors. Well, he's still one of my favorite directors because of his persistence to make Hong Kong cinema and how hard he tried to make Hong Kong cinema. So the last couple of years have been quite disappointing for me. Um, the last two, and I still thought Love in the Puff and Dream Home were great films because they weren't afraid of mainland, mainland censorship. Um, so to, to see him, you know, to shift everything into the mainland these this last year have been uh kind of difficult to accept uh i don't know if that's something that people can understand uh so i'm a little i'm very disappointed by this news that his his last hong kong film even then he's even for the continuation of that he's moving into the mainland um what do you think paul i mean does it matter that he's going to move this well, story into the mainland um it, it does to some extent i mean you don't have the flexibility so you you know, a lot of times, especially for him, the kinds of stories he would tell are going to be severely limited now. Um, I don't think you could get away with Dream Home or, you know, even some of his earlier works. Um, you know, one of my favorites is the short film he did. I think it was for um, the local uh, IFVA, Independent Film and Video, um, um, IFVA, Independent Film and Video... Award. Awards, yeah. yeah. I'm going brain dead. Um, <clears throat> which he won for, and, and that was Summer Exercise. Oh, uh, yeah, one, of, yeah. one of my favorite short films of any director. And I, you, you just couldn't do that in the mainland, um, that kind of story. And so I don't know. I mean, I understand he wants to get into the market. Lots of money there. I think this is going to be a trend. You know, this is what a lot of directors have already started doing. Um, but I think if they're going to want some creative freedom, they're going to need to come back to Hong Kong unless things change up north, which doesn't look like they're set to do very quickly. All right. Last bit of news. Um, a little bit of a West screen, screen related news here. Um, Diane Lane, uh, actress Diane Lane, is set to play... Martha Kent in the new Superman film um, that's currently undergoing casting. I heard a rumor, I don't know if this has been confirmed, that um, Jonathan Kent is supposed to be Kevin Costner. Um, I, I haven't had that confirmed, but apparently Diane Lane, her role is confirmed as Clark Kent's, you know, adopted mother, um, which is kind of weird, and I'll tell you why. Um first she still looks great um she's super hot i think the last thing i saw her in was um must love dogs with john cusack which is a a great comedy she's playing sort of this middle-aged um woman divorced woman uh trying to refine love and 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 find her place um sort of a midlife crisis kind of a thing um but she still looks really really good and she's married to josh brolin which um i didn't know i knew she was married to Christopher Lambert of Highlander fame for a while. I didn't know they had divorced, but I guess she's been with Josh Brolin for um, six or seven years now. Um, but when I think about the character of Martha Kent, I'm not picturing Diane Lane, in particular because she's only three years older than me. <laughs> um, I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, Superman's parents are supposed to be a bit older right, um, than Diane Lane and, and Kevin Costner. So I'm not really sure what they've got planned, but there's been some speculation on other podcasts that I've been listening to that with the casting of Diane Lane and if they do go with uh, Kevin Costner as uh, Pa Kent, then what's going to end up happening is another origin, Superman origin story um, is being predicted, which I'm not that happy about. Um, I was hoping they'd avoid that um but it looks like like we talked about before they're going to reboot the franchise and start from scratch 
Yeah, I guess if you're rebooting a franchise and going to start with, you know, him growing up again. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you want to start at younger, relatively younger actors and then just use makeup to, to age them. So I, I, I wouldn't worry too much about the age thing, Paul. Don't worry. I'm sure Hollywood makeup will, will take care of it. Yeah. I'm wondering if Hollywood makeup will take care of me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so I think that's it for news this week um why don't we move on and talk about some films we don't have any uh east screen films for this week why is that um because hong kong filmmakers are lazy yeah Uh, and primarily because i think everything's kind of on hold right now because we've got the film festival coming up Mm -hmm. um but we've had a number of west screen releases and so we're going to talk about some of them right now all right so for west screen this week up first i am number four um now kevin you didn't see this no i did not yeah um and let me say lucky you um i am number (laughs) four two (laughs) it should be um i am number four is directed by dj caruso that name sound familiar yes he directed eagle eye yeah, if, and he directs a lot of TV in the States. Um, and I, 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 I liked Eagle Eye well enough. Um, you know, um, I liked the, the story and the way the technology was done um, in that film. This one, nah, not so much. It really plays off as a bad, bad TV episode. Um, it's by the numbers, you know, number four, pun intended, right? Ha ha. Ha but it's really following the Twilight formula. Uh, basically, you've got a special boy. Why is he special? Well, a little bit of a spoiler, although not much if you've seen the trailer. He's an alien. Uh, he's fleed, fleed from his home planet, and he's taken refuge here on Earth along with uh, nine other special children um, who are the saviors of the... supposed to be the saviors of the alien planet that was invaded. Um, and so they're hiding out on Earth... And basically, the bad aliens have now come to Earth to hunt them down. And they have to hunt them down one by one in order. Why do they have to be in order? I don't know. They kind of really never get into that. But it has to be in order. Um, and, of course, our main character, who goes by the name of John Smith, uh, because he's incognito, uh, he is number four. Uh, the, he's found out over the course of his young life, that the first three have already been assassinated, and he's next. Um, That's pretty much the plot. Um, So you've got a boy with special powers, and aliens hunting him, and he just wants to have a normal teenage high school life, even though he looks like he's about 25. Um, But yeah, he's in high school with these other people who look like they're about 25, too. So this really does look like an episode that you would see of Smallville or Supernatural or something on the CW. Um, We've talked about the CW before. If you're overseas, that's an American network, um, one of the off-brand network channels, and they make make shows like Supernatural and Smallville, um, if you've heard of those, which can be pretty good for TV shows. but they tend to be formulaic, um, have some effects thrown in that they, because, you know, the effects have come down in price with computer graphics and everything. So they look pretty good in terms of effects. And that's what you've got here. Um, it's a dry Twilight-style formula. Um, there's, a, there's a girl involved, and, you know, she's a little bit of an outcast. And so the two hook up. So the whole thing's pretty boring. Um, until the last 10 minutes, and then it stores, it starts to, some of the budget starts to come through. They throw in more effects than you typically, typically would get in an episode of Smallville or Supernatural. Um, but everything else is so very, like, Seventh Heaven or, you know, just so much teen angst and, and drama and, oh, he likes me and I've got this other boy who likes me and they're rivaling for each other, um, you know, this kind of a thing. Um, there's this whole subplot about another boy whose dad was this UFO conspiracist. Doesn't really feel like it ever goes anywhere. Um, but the one saving grace of the film, it has a beagle. Dogs for the win. Um, yeah, the beagle shows up, 
just about this, the time I was ready to start nodding off and, uh, and it got me a little bit more engaged in the film. Um, you know, you throw in a puppy, throw in a beagle in there and uh, perk my attention right up. He wasn't named Snoopy, but what are you going to do? Um, thankfully, and I have to throw out a big plug and a thanks to neonpunch.com. It's a Hong Kong-based sort of tech and geek uh, site. And they had, a comp- they had a little competition, gave away some free tickets. I won, so I didn't actually have to shell out anything for this film except my time, which was already very expensive. Um, if you're interested, I mean, it does, if you like sci-fi, um, this is kind of like I said, a bad CW episode or a bad sci-fi movie episode, um, TV it, but really only if it's playing on TV where it belongs. Um, I wouldn't run out and, and get a, a disc of this e- even as a rental necessarily. Um, because it's just not that good. The thing is, is this is based on a book series, um, so there's supposed to be six of these, right? So it's like even worse than Twilight, because Twilight's four, I guess, and a little bit less than Harry Potter, but nowhere near the production value. So I don't know if this film does well enough that they're going to try and do the rest of the sequels. Um, but if they do, I hope they really sort of start to up the narrative storytelling and up the budget for the next ones. I wouldn't worry too bad. Um Apparently the movie didn't do very well in 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 the states uh, and probably not worldwide. So um, I I doubt they're gonna make the next six the next five books or whatever. Yeah, it might uh, go, so might go the way of the Golden Compass or the Last Airbender. Yeah, it's just another another attempt at um, Disney trying to aim at kind of like a well. The interesting market. thing is, I mean, when you look at who it was produced by, Michael Bay, Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg, right? Um, pretty big names, um, yet this has just such a very, it just really looks like it's made for TV um, throughout most of it. Uh, again, the last 10 minutes, kind of exciting. They throw in they throw in a, a, a couple decent fights and uh, some effects and everything, but, you know, not that much. Um, it, it was kind of done on the cheap. All right, let's move on to talk about some movies that fare much better um, in comparison. First up, the Oscar-nominated film True Grit by the Coen brothers. Now, this has been out for a while. This was like, uh, I think, Christmas Christmas release. I didn't get a chance to see it, even though I was in the States when it came out. Um, but we just got it here a week or so ago because of the, you know, the, the, the Oscar buzz, if you will. Um, so, Kevin, you want to take us through True Grit? Sure. Um, True Grit is the Coen Brothers uh, remake of the um, 60s, I think, the 1960s uh, Western film that actually earned John Wayne his only Academy Award. So um, imagine Jeff Bridges' uh, pressure when he took on this film. Um, the Coen Brothers, I think they're doing Western for the first time, if I remember correctly. Um, Kurt well, I'm wrong. I mean, if you look at No Country for Old Men, that's kind of a Western. It's just sort of set yeah. in modern day. Yeah, so it's, this is kind of like their first, I guess, period Western or traditional Western. Um, anyway, the story is uh, very straightforward. Um, it's about it's a story of Maddie Ross, um, a fourteen year old girl uh, played by Haley Steinfeld. Um, it starts with her father uh, having been killed by um, a man named Tom Chaney, uh, a kind of a drifter who goes from place to place and. Uh, robs his way, I guess, into staying alive. Uh, he's played by Josh Brolin, um, and he to to get, I guess, revenge for her father. She she uh, recruits the help of uh, Rooster Cockburn, a, a federal marshal, I think, uh, who who kind of is known for having uh, true grit. Uh, he's played by Jeff Bridges, um, who is kind of mumbling half his way because uh, he, he he his character is always drunk. Um, so on their on their journey, they're joined by a Texas Ranger, Labuf, uh, played by Matt Damon. So the rest of the movie is kind of like a road trip into the woods as these three hunt for Tom Chaney so uh, Maddie can get revenge. Um, again, very straightforward story. Um, I'm a little surprised that the Coens would take on something, uh, a remake, uh, no less, something this commercial, I suppose. Uh, but I guess that's the way they work. They take on something that's more commercial friendly and then they take on their own film so like they did 
No Country for Old Men. Then they went to uh, I'm gonna double check here. They did No Country for Old Men, and then Burn After Reading for the for the big money because they got the big stars, and then they do something they want, which is Serious Man, and then now True Grit, which is now of course their highest grossing film ever. Um, true, it, it's again it's a very straightforward story, revenge story, revenge plot, role film. A very um, it doesn't really do it doesn't really give the Coens much to um to really put in kind of their signature kind of surreal kind of filmmaking even though they do manage to fit in bits of dark humor uh there's a hanging scene in the beginning that i didn't think would be funny but actually ended up being quite funny i thought uh there's a lot of um little bits of comedy and within sprinkle within especially between um the tension between uh matt damon's the texas ranger and uh the federal marshal there's a lot of um uh talk about the civil war and and tension between you know Texans and people non-Texans that I guess Americans will get uh, but um, my 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 viewing partner was totally scratching her head not knowing what's going on um, I, I I saw a bit of Cohen in that but then the rest of the film kind of feels a little too insignificant to really leave much of an impression I mean the action is not that well staged um, even though I'm sure it's a, it's an improvement over the 1960s original considering the technology they're working with um, and really great cinematography Roger Deakins uh, still apparently now still the best cinematographer who has never won an Oscar watched the courthouse scene and the way it's lit this really absolutely beautiful uh, cinematography but again the, the story and 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 the outcome, and um, it all just feels kind of insignificant um, to leave really a deep impression. Uh, it's a really entertaining film, and I was I, I liked it quite a bit um, on an entertainment scale, uh, on a on a Western movie scale. I liked it quite a bit, but is it really worth, or is it really worthy of ten Oscar nominations, uh, especially when um, the Coens got Best Director nomination and Christopher Nolan didn't for Inception? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think, um, like I said last week, I think the, 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 the committee really gave them the nominations just because it's the Coen brothers. Um, and I, I wouldn't say, you know, the Coen brothers are not great filmmakers. They're still really good filmmakers and they show it here. But on the Coen standard, it's just, it's okay, Coen brothers. I mean, it's a great, it's a, a really good entertaining commercial film, but it's only okay Coens. Still, um, for the cinematography, for the fact that it's a Coen Brothers movie, watch it, see it on a big screen. Um, but if you're not that crazy about the genre nor about um, about the director's uh, TV it. Um, oh, but I have to also point out uh, um, Haley Steinfeld, really, really good as, the, uh, as Maddie Ross. Uh, just watch the scene where um, she's bargaining with a, uh, a horse owner about how to sell her father's horse. That was the scene that got her to roll because she she did an audition and she pulls it off really splendidly and she and she has a great future ahead of her. Matt Damon, a scene stealer as the Texan Ranger. Jeff Bridges didn't really get to do much. He just gets to mumble the whole time. Uh, so um, John Wayne can rest easily. Um, again, see it. See it if you if you know about the film, you look forward to it. TV it if you're not a fan of the genre or the director. Paul? Yeah, I'd say uh, really good stuff, uh, really gritty. Uh, I liked it. Um, I'd never seen the original, uh, True Grit with John Wayne. Um, I'm intrigued to go back and watch it now, in part because I have seen the sequel, Rooster Cogburn, which mm. starred uh, Catherine Hepburn. Um, and I agree with pretty much everything you said, uh, excellent performances by everybody. I mean, I'm not a huge Matt Damon fan. Jeff Bridges, I was so glad to see him not being the dude um, because, you know, Tron Legacy left such a bad taste in my mouth with what came out there. I was really glad to see him being somebody that's not that character. You know, he's not pulling out the gun and going, yeah, man, you're messing with my zen or something. Um so it was a little bit like a a, a dude, a drunk dude in in the West. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I guess so, but um, nowhere near what he was channeling with uh, with Kevin Flynn and uh, Tron Legacy. Um, I that being said, you know the performances were great, but I'm sorry, Haley Steinfeld or Steinfeld, not a supporting actress. 
Oh, definitely. She's okay. definitely a main actress. She, that that sure. she was in the wrong Oscar category. She she pretty much carried this movie. Like you said, that scene where she's sitting there negotiating. Um, there's a scene early on when she's like dealing with, you know, the the arrangements for her father. Just just amazing stuff coming from this young actress. And um, yeah, she did, just did not belong in a supporting actress role. I would love them to get together with everybody, um, you know, the Coens and uh, Jeff Bridges to do the sequel. And, I, you know, I've been pondering who would they get to take up the Catherine Hepburn role, and I was thinking maybe Helen Mirren um, would be a good choice. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if the Coen brothers are keen on sequels, but deep down inside, I'm kind of hoping that they'll do that because I'd, I'd like to see more of this character. Um I, I'm kind of thinking they won't because of what they do with the storytelling here um, at the end, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Just a little bit of local context. I was almost in an empty theater um, watching this, and when we talk about our next film in just a moment, I found it to be a very interesting comparison. Um, and th- you know, thinking, why is that? Is it is it because it's you know, westerns aren't that culturally proximate to Hong Kong? Because when I went and saw you know, Black Swan, big theater, pretty much full house, um, and I ended up having to see it twice, as as I mentioned last time. Um, this one, small theater, nearly empty, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about um, our next film and the local reactions that I saw to that as well. So, but yeah, I'd say even if you're not somebody who's really, you, you don't really need to get all of the Americanisms, the, you know, the, the, the like you were saying, the conflicts between uh, North and South and, and some of the history and Texas and all that that kind of goes on with some of these characters. And it really is a road trip movie um, in, in disguise. It's not, it's not like, you know, an old, there is some gunfighting, but it's very, very limited, in fact. It's really about the characters and, and the character developments that, that you see, and they're all really strong. And so I'd say it's definitely a see it, see it for the performances, particularly for uh, Haley Steinfeld's role, because was, she was amazing. Cowboys ain't easy to love, and they're harder to hold. They'd rather give you a song than diamonds or gold. Long star belt buckles and old faded Levi's, and each night begins a new day. If you don't understand him, he don't die here. He'll probably just ride away. Listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right. Our final film for this week. Another Oscar winner and contender, The King's Speech. Um, Kevin, what can you tell us about the King's Speech? Yeah, um, I'm not really familiar with, um, British history, but, um, I'll just do it from, from what I saw in the film. Um, uh, King's Speech is about King George VI, I believe. That would be Victoria's father, right? Um, so, uh... Elizabeth. Yes, Elizabeth's yep. father. Ha ha ha. So anyone, anyone who, uh, 
apparently the the, the king uh, George the Sixth uh, came in quite at a quite turbulent time. Uh, people who know British history will know that his older brother um, Edward was next in line for the throne, and he abdicated. Uh, something that you see in the film. Uh, but the problem is uh, the king that King George uh, didn't want to take on the throne is apparently because he had a stammer, you know, kind of like me right now. Uh, so the king's speech is about how the king uh, or the to be king in uh, most of the film uh, overcame his stammer with the help of a, st- a speech therapist uh, played by Jeffrey Rush. Um, this is definitely an, an actor's movie. Um, Colin Firth, um, really, of course, as one might expect from a Best Actor winner, uh, quite good as Dude of York slash uh, King George. Um, Jeffrey Rush uh, kind of gets to play loose as a speech therapist, and uh, he, play, he he gives off a good, really good contrast to uh, the kind of stern and serious and angry uh, King. Um, Helena Bonham Carter. Um, Charming as uh, as the queen, the queen mother, uh, quite good again. Um, everyone else, everyone is just is just, is is really um, ensemble film, I suppose. Uh, it's also very much a writer's film because uh, the script it manages to do a lot of things that I guess an Oscar committee would expect a respectable or expect a respectable uh, award contender to do. Uh, it has a very um, very respectable subject matter, a uh, very respected figure. It has uh, underdog story. It has World War Two, uh, and I think I made this joke last week. Also, as British people, so um, very much, it's almost like it's made to be an Oscar contender, uh, especially the Weinstein's behind it. Um, and it's very fair. It's very engaging, and it's quite entertaining. Uh, the actors play off each other very well. There's a lot of witty lines. Um, even though the director is the directing uh, by Tom Hooper is kind of weak, he he has a lot. He does a lot of visual. He tried to do a lot of visual tricks to kind of I guess engage the viewer. He does a lot of uh, weird framing, uh, using the fish eye visually to to show the the Duke of York's uh, I guess his um, limited view of the world or his limited uh, his mentality. Uh, but that 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 didn't really work. Um, it kind of distracted me a little bit. Um, but the writing and the acting were really good, um, so I I don't mind it winning the Oscar for Best Picture, even though I I do mind Tom Harper Tom Hooper winning the director. Um, my problem is that they told a really good underdog story with um, these monarch intrigue, like I said, Edward and his application, um, and his uh, how how Duke of York came to kind of uh, accept his own potential to be king, and then all of that led to a speech. Um, the title, the King's Speech, is specifically about, uh, and this is not a spoiler because I mean I'm sure many people know about this. If you go into this movie, you do some research, you know what's, what happens is that the king has to give a speech uh, at the beginning of World War II. Now, that's a that's a great obstacle, I guess, for for its character, especially when it's trying to const- when it's focusing on his stammer, uh, his stuttering, and his uh, fear of um, making speeches in public, but. In hindsight, that speech didn't really do anything. You know, like the like the king said at one point in the film, the king in the monarch in in England doesn't really do much. They don't levy taxes. They don't really get to make uh, um, political decisions. They're just a symbol. So, what does a king making a speech at the beginning of World War II really mean for the war? I mean, I'm sure symbolically, symbolically, it's it's quite important for the character. Symbolically, it means quite it's it was quite important to the people of England to hear the king giving this reassuring speech. But it's kind of anticlimactic for me as a climax. Um, so that was my big bigger problem with the film, even though the rest of the film is, is, is quite good. Um, and the other question, there's a big controversy uh, going between the, the, the scriptwriter of the film and uh, Christopher Hitchin, who is uh, a writer in England. It's about the historical accuracy of the film and the characters. Um, apparently, Ed- Edward uh, was actually a Nazi sympathizer. Um, and and uh, there he doesn't really have a, a good, I guess, reputation in history. So the question is, did the film whitewash his story? I guess to to whatever the the the, the intention is. Um, but that's something else for discussion. We can talk about this after uh, Paul gives us his thoughts. Um, I would say see it just because one, it won the Oscar. Um, two has really good acting and the writing is sharp. Um, 
you can't you know you you can't miss an Oscar Best Picture winner in a cinema. So I would say see it. Uh, Paul, what yeah. do you think? Um, really solid performances all around. Um, it's won numerous awards, not just the Oscars, but awards elsewhere. Um, I was really impressed with Helena Bonham Carter's and her role, and I really wanted to see more of her. There, there was a thing that stood out in my mind, and it's the little things like like that that really sold the film for me. There's a scene where she's going in um, this old style elevator, and she's going down to find this speech therapist, and she's trying to operate the elevator. And she doesn't really know how to do it because, yeah. you know, and, and, and it takes her a moment to realize that she's got to close the outside door and close, then close the inside door. And she does it, but it's just that little moment, that little realization that, you know, she lives this, you know, pampered life where she doesn't normally have to do these things for herself. And so she's a little bit outside of her environment. And I like the little, the little touches like that, um, you know, that that they chose to include in the story. Um, <clears throat> it's a good story. Um, if you know the history and you've seen the trailer, though, like you know, you said, Kevin, you've kind of seen the film. Um, you're just waiting to see the development of um, the, the, the king and um, him working with um, the speech therapist and you know how he improves over time. Um, there's some really great supporting roles, too. Uh, one of my favorite British actors, Derek Jacoby, uh, has a role as the... Um, he's the head of the church, and he's in charge of the, the coronation later on, and little bits of tension that show up here and there. Um, just really nice little touches. Um, I think the, the whole history conflict is kind of interesting because, you know, as you were saying, there were some people talking about the validity of what's, what's being shown. Obviously, it's a film, and they do take dramatic license, um, on, I think on Wikipedia, it's saying that, uh, some professors point out that, uh, you know, the improvement in speech isn't, you know, the rate at which it improved is a little bit different. And, um, that, uh, Churchill, in fact, was not a supporter of, uh, Edward's abdication. Uh, he wanted Edward to resist the, pre you know, the pressure to abdicate. And that, uh, some of the characters, um, like, uh, the, the girlfriend, um, Wallace were made to seem a little bit more antagonistic than maybe they really were for dramatic effect. Um, but that's all typical like movie magic or, you know, narratology, if you will. Uh, I don't think any of that should stop people from going and seeing the film because it's, it's just really well constructed and, um, and it's a nice piece of history to watch. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the interesting thing is, and again, going back to what I was talking about with True Grit, um, the film seems to be doing well in Hong Kong. The theater was packed when I saw it, and it got me to wondering, you know, are people coming out to see this film because of sort of a post-colonial mentality, you know, because a lot of the, what's going on here is still very relative to colonial Hong Kong and some of the you know, po uh, colonial memories that uh, certain generations still have and uh, veneration for the queen, you know, Elizabeth, who uh, does appear in the film in a very youthful role. So I don't know. What do you think, Kevin? Is that a factor? I wouldn't go as far as to say um, uh, post-colonial memory. I'm sure there is some a little bit. I'm, I'm sure maybe for some older audiences, they may have that... Um, that mentality, uh, but it's mainly just really good marketing on the part of a uh, distributor. If we talk about True Grit, um, because you know it's a Western film, it's really hard to advertise a Western film. The Coen Brothers are not; they're kind of cult figures here in Hong Kong. They're well-known filmmakers, they're fans, but they're not they're not populist filmmakers. So it's it's quite easy to see why True Grid would do not as well as say Black Swan, which was a big Oscar contender with Nellie Portman really the the huge the huge buzz around her performance. Uh, same for um, the King's Speech, which they had two weeks of events showing before the, the before the weekend of the Oscars. So people who knew who 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 heard about the film actually my my screen had a lot of expats, uh, a lot of foreigners who know about the film. Um, Two weekends of that, and then to build buzz, and then when finally came the time came to to win the Oscar, then everyone everyone couldn't wait to see it because 
one they opened it they opened it only in 13 theaters in Hong Kong very little theaters um so and of course with the Oscars then everyone went to see the film and I expect this just a really safe respectable um film with really good actors and British British actors tend to be more liked I guess by the middle class here than say uh than say American films especially with that demographic so I, I suspect a lot of them would come out um so yeah it's it was really more more than just post-colonial uh, mentality i think a lot of it has to do with the distributor and i really have to give credit to those people for putting on uh quite a good marketing campaign for the film yeah um all right so definitely yeah to reiterate i'd say it's a see it um performances are great and i think kevin agrees okay um uh, but one question paul yeah one last question King's Speech versus a social network. Which do you think? Which did you want to win more? The Oscar best. I can't. Film? I can't say. I haven't seen Social Network yet. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, I want to gonna... see it. The DVD, the the Blu-ray DVD is a bit pricey at the moment. Um, and yeah, you'd think with somebody like me all into the the tech and the social networking and podcasting and everything, that I would have rushed out and see it. I don't remember why, for what reason, when it came out here. Um, I remember I was really busy at the time because we were, that was like right, a couple weeks right before we were we were doing preparations for the wedding and everything. And it was yeah. a crazy time. I wasn't seeing a lot of movies then. And then it was gone. And now it's out on video, but I just haven't been able to justify, because it's pretty expensive here. Yeah. Um, Don't worry, I'll lend you the blue when I see it. Oh, great. Yeah, day. that'd be great. Yeah. But um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with my decision and still say Social Network was a better film, even though I don't blame you know the king, the the older Oscar voters were voting for the King's Speech, so both are worthy, worthy, worthy Oscar films. But um, I still say, you know, the Social Network is better because I'm cool and hip like that. All right. East Green, West Green. All right. Uh, let's move on and talk about uh, some comments. We got some comments from last episode. Uh, I can get my notes to come up here. Matt S. wrote in talking about, uh, I guess, uh, sort of following up from our conversation we had last time with uh, Scott Johnson on digital distribution. He says he's not really sold on the idea because he's not ready to cede complete control of his media library to the studios and content providers. Um, rights issues are always going to create a rotating door of availability, especially if your tastes are a little off the beaten path. Says, I love Netflix streaming, but even if you include their DVD offerings, the selection is sorely lacking. Um, it is best approached as a visit to a virtual video store. Now, see, you use Netflix, right, Kevin? I used to use Netflix in the States, but I never used their streaming service before. Although I'm trying to, I'm thinking about finding ways to, to yeah, use it. I mean, as but I, I use something like that here in, in the States. I as mean, I understand it, the, the streaming service changes all the time. It's mm. like they'll have a title you know, like maybe the social network come up and it'll stream, it'll be available to stream for, I don't know, a couple months, but then I don't know, the they'll lose the license for it and they'll take it down. Um, so I, I, I guess that's an issue. Um, the thing for me is I, I want to be able to buy something. You know, maybe I buy a digital copy of the social network and I want to be able to access it on maybe my TV, maybe my iPad, you know, and, and but it's stored somewhere virtually. So we can get away from the DVD library uh, because I've got a library somewhere that I can access from any point, you know. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen because, again, it comes down to these ideas of rights issues and everything. But that's what I would really like, you know. It's sort of like, I mean, they kind of do that with video games like Steam and some things. Um, iTunes, they're not really there yet because you basically, you buy the digital, digital copy, but it's stored on your computer. And my experience has been, uh, if I go to another computer or my hard drive crashes in the past, I've, I've lost music. Um, now there's still some question, uh, as I was talking with Scott last week about, you know, has that changed iTunes apparently with apps, um, you can still download the re-download the app. I, I'm not sure. It's still very unclear. Yes. And they don't really make it 
very clear. They're not very that they're not, they're not really that upfront and open about it. So, um, yeah, it's it's still one of those things we're kind of in the baby step phase of it. Uh, you know, it's not uh, really well developed. But I'm hoping that within the next you know ten years. I mean, if you look at the rate at which technology is coming out, we were talking before the show about the iPad two and the new iOS and and all these new technologies that one of the main uses is going to be to, you know, access entertainment, games and movies. Um, that's one of the main things I do with mine. I watch TV shows and movies on my iPad all the time, going to and from work. Um, and wouldn't it be great if I could somehow, you know, start building a library in virtual space that I could access on my home computer, on my TV, my iPad, whenever I wanted? Well, the thing with with this virtual <clears throat> virtual storing place is that it works really well i'm sure on a on a solid broadband connection you have at home but the 3g the 3g technology right now is still not fast enough for you to be able to stream movies while you're on the go i think um, yeah but they're i mean at the, the big talk now is 4g um, right and they're saying the 4g networks are going to be even faster than 3g and and that should give you the speed you need um you know who knows i Heaven only knows what all those data bits flying through the air at light speed are doing to us invisibly. They're probably going to all turn into like purple versions of the Hulk at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It seems to me like the industry is going to fight that because that's going to severely limit, you know, um, distribution rights and things. And this was another thing I think we touched on with Scott was... Um, you know, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful for the day when the internet can be just considered this separate region, this separate entity and, you know, stuff that you buy virtually, whether you use PayPal or whether you use a credit card that does currency conversion, as long as you pay for it in that virtual space, then you have the right to access it. And it, and it, it supersedes borders and boundaries and all that. And I know that the distribution companies are never going to go for that because it's really cutting into their pie. Yeah, and as long as when it's about getting the piece of the pie, that's always going to limit um, uh, distribution. Yeah. It because everyone wants a piece of the pie. Region, some some distributors, most distributors are still working on terms of region. You know, what I mean, region coding. Yeah. Uh, 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 you got um, YouTube and all the streaming sites. Hulu, they're still stuck on region. The idea of regions, and that's really limiting how we can access these entertainment. I mean, Hong Kong still doesn't have an iTunes store. Hong Kong people can still cannot access Pandora. We, I mean, VPN, things like that, they help, but we shouldn't need these things to be able to access I think, I think Hong Kong does have an iTunes store. It's just really It does, bad. but there's no music. There's yeah. no music. There's, there's like no nothing movies. there. There's just a few yes. apps and yeah, that's it. Yes, so so as long as distributors, uh, they're still in that, state, in that state of mind in terms of thinking, in terms of region and you know, I can understand why they're still stuck in that because there is no real solution yet because you can't open open it completely wide like that because there are still matters of promotion and marketing and things like that. Different countries, different ways of promotion. You can't just open everything at the same time. But still, it's I really would like to see it go a little quicker. Like Hulu, open it up. Pandora, at least Pandora Radio is only is only you know old music. It's only you know. Uh, old database of music is open it up and work it out. Um, I don't even care if, if if corporations have to have to all merge into one big conglomerate owned by Rupert Murdoch or the ghost of Rupert Murdoch or whatever. Just you know whatever that can help us break down these 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 regional barriers. Um, I think would would be would be a future would, would advance us so much quicker. Yeah. And we'll all follow Bill, Bill O'Reilly's advice, and we'll do it live. All right, uh, one other comment from uh, Team Lun Lao, who sometimes goes by the name of Gary. He says, I know this is going to sound random, but hear me out. I think Anthony Wong Chao Sung would be perfect as Lobo, a DC Comics character. Um, and I guess he's building on the conversation we had with Scott last week about favorite comic book movies of, or, or what he predicts as the... Good comic book movies of 2011. Uh, he goes on to say, Lobo isn't exactly race-specific. In fact, his face is painted black and white. Anthony Wong definitely has the physical look and rocker attitude to match Lobo. Um, 
I've not read a lot of Lobo. I've seen the character before, and he's kind of like a cross between Gene Simmons from Kiss and um, a Harley Biker Hell's Angels kind of guy, but he's an alien in outer space. He rides like a space motorcycle or something. Um, kind of a wacky character. Uh, I could definitely see uh, Anthony Wong playing him, but the times that I saw him, he was always kind of big and muscular and beefy. Um, so I think that Andy Wong, Anthony Wong definitely has the attitude to play the character. I don't know about the physique, the physique. Um, they might, if they were to do like a CGI kind of Hulk style and, you know, have Anthony Wong do the voice could work. I don't know. Um, do you know Lobo, Kevin? Uh, I'm, I'm going to stay out of it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, Lobo and Hobo and, yeah. and, and, and yeah. <laughs> do you by chance know Sheriff Lobo? Oh, yes. Yes, <laughs> that I do. <laughs> There is a man the legends tell who stands for what is right. Black, white, or pink, never shirks or cowers from a fight. He is our Sheriff Lobo, mighty Sheriff Lobo. But uh, but uh, your Lobo and your comic uh, Hulk and, and Anthony. Uh, Anthony won't be good for anything. Okay, there. Oh, okay, <laughs> that, he's good at anything. And that ends it. That, 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 yes. That's what you gotta say. There you go. Yeah, Anthony Wong, good in anything. All right. I think that's gonna wrap things up for this week. As always, though, if you'd like to keep up with what we're doing, you can visit our website at www.concast.com. Um, you can follow us on iTunes and get the podcast there. Leave us some comments if you like what we're doing or you'd like to see something different. Um, or you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we've got a Twitter for the show. Kevin, you've got a Twitter. Yes, sir. Um, my Twitter is at, uh, I'm the golden rock. That's one word. Uh, I am at www.twitter.com slash the golden rock. I post, um, the latest news, um, my my the, the conditions of my foot uh and and um random things oh, like that's right that. you got the gout yes i had the gout that's uh, unbelievable you were like you know younger than a baby how do you get the gout my dad's got the gout i don't know something apparently i have really really powerful urine <laughs> something to, something like that but yeah uh i'm okay now i'm walking uh the pain's gone away uh thanks to my doctor um, but I will have to wash my diet from now on. Yeah. Um, do you eat a lot? I mean, cause from what I've been, what, what I've been told from my dad is it's eating an abundance of meat, seafood or alcohol. But, I only eat one of that a lot yeah. and that's meat, but yeah. I, I wouldn't say I'm crazy, crazy about meat. Um, but I'm not sure if this, I, I've heard this hereditary. So yeah, I've heard that too. I, I, I keep waiting for it to hit me one day. I don't want to blame anybody. Uh, huddle mom, dad. Uh, Thanks, dad. Oh, thanks. Uh, but um, no, it just it just it all comes down to now having to watch my diet. No soy, no no seafood, nothing that'll raise my uric acid levels. What? No soy? Oh, that stinks. Yeah, it's, well, soy milk. I like to drink real milk. So high dairy, uh, a lot of dairy, uh, less meat. I mean, that should be okay. It's not. It's a little hard to eat really healthy in Hong Kong, but I will have to deal with it. A little. Uh, <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no worries from my from the two two people who care about me out there that's not my mom and dad uh i am fine now and i'm walking normally all right um well we're we're, we're glad you're recovered and we hope that uh that doesn't flare up anytime soon and if it flares up again you will find about you'll find out about it on my twitter www.twitter.com uh, it all comes back to twitter yes what will we do without the twitter um so yes follow Mr. Ma's uric acid uh, uprisings at his Twitter account. <laughs> you can also get in contact with us directly if you'd like to uh, at eastscreen at gmail.com. You can send us an email or you can send us a short MP3 file if you've got a question or a comment and we might play it here on the show. Um, so yeah, I think uh, that covers the ways to contact us if you'd like to. Final thoughts, Mr. Ma? Um... I stand by the fact that Anthony Wong is good in everything. Anthony yes. Wong's good in everything. Yes. All right. I cannot dispute that. 
Um, so yeah, uh, next show, episode 59, we'll be talking about Men Suddenly in Love, um, which probably doesn't have Anthony Wong in it, so it won't be any good. And uh, what's the other one? Uh, Battle LA or World Invasion or Independence Day 2, I don't know. Uh, Skyline 5, something like that. Also, uh, hopefully we can talk about The Fighter, the, the uh, movie starring Christian Bale and uh, Mark Wahlberg. Ah, uh, yes, The Fighter. Um, so all that be for next time. Until then, though, we will wish you good viewing, and we'll see you then. See you next time, everybody. Mm-hmm.